Welcome. Here we are. Man, it's going, time's going back crazy. We're May 3rd, already into another month. And we're excitedly, we'll tell you the Christ Church family and all of you watching, um, based on the mayors, all the municipal mayors in the city of Memphis, and Arlington mayor, Bartlett mayor, all the municipality mayors have announced that this uh, May 4th, tomorrow, we're going to go to phase one of reopening. And we're looking at that, and hopefully we'll have some announcements this week or next week. You watch the website and continue to look at social media and see when we may be able to come back together. We're excited about that, and we're praying about it. And You continue to pray for your elders and that we will find God's will and do it on his timing. A lot of details will have to be worked through, but uh, in the interim, we're together, and we're worshiping online again today, streaming, whatever you want to call it. I am magical when it comes to this stuff. Good thing I got Brock and Steve here and Paul because I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, as Steve said a moment ago, he can't make me look any better, but he can make it happen. All right. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. In your Bible or on your device, you can get up off the couch if you want to. Well, get out of bed, pay attention, walk around. Isaiah chapter 6. As we continue our series on who's your daddy, what we're going to focus on today, our attribute that we're going to look at today is that our God is holy. We're going to look at it this week, and we're going to look at it next week, and probably for eight or nine weeks to come. Nah, I'm just kidding. We're going to look at it probably the next two weeks, this attribute that our God is holy. It's something we sing about all the time. It's something that the church, has, it, it's been a constant refrain of the church for 2,000 plus years, and as you're going to see, it is a perpetual theme throughout Scripture that God is holy. We talk about it all the time. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What is it? What is holiness? And that's what we're going to talk about in this particular lesson. Holy is what makes God, and the word physical literally means separate from everything else. All the beings and all the entities and all the things that He, God, created. Last week we were talking about the sovereignty of God and what makes God sovereign is that he is God and there is only one. He is unique and holiness is part of that. All his attributes are tied together. He is all of his attributes simultaneously, perpetually, eternally. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is, we're going to be looking at he is love. He is just. He is immutable on and on. So as we think about holiness, literally what it's talking about is that he's separate from everything he created, all Beings, angels, humans, everything that exists, as well as all the physical entity of the un- entities of the universe that he made, that he is majestic, reigning over them, and get tied in with sovereignty, and probably the unique aspect of his holiness is that he's the only thing in the universe that is completely morally pure, with no defects. We, as human beings, are sinners. We're born the propensity to sin, we have a defect called a sin nature. God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus became the Christ because he was perfect and sinless, morally pure, could die in our place, and we can be declared righteous, but even as Christians, we still sin. We still are not completely perfect. Our God is, we are declared righteous in him. So holiness means literally that he is separate, that he is above, beyond, unique, majestic, above, that he is morally pure, the only thing that in the universe that is, and he has no defects, none at all. So 
as we begin to look at God's holiness and how do we apply that in our lives as Christians and as God's children, there's a command in Scripture that's given to us. And Peter repeats it in his epistle from the Old Testament. And here's the command from God to his children. Be holy, for I am holy. Oh, wait a minute. That's not possible. I can't be God, despite what some theologians would teach. I will never be God. So his command to me is, your goal, Randy, as a believer, is to be morally pure, to be like me. Christ in me, as Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, is my hope of glory, not my good looks. Steve alluded to earlier, that's not possible, not my good things that I do, not the money I give to the church, not how many times I go on mission trips, I get baptized, uh, whatever I might do. I've been a Christian 50 years, and I've been in the ministry 36 years. That doesn't get me moral purity. What gets me righteous in the eyes of God is faith in the gift and the work of Jesus Christ, not Randy. So God's command to me is be holy, for I am holy. In other words, let the Christ in you, the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers, be what is lived out. Be Christ-like. So it's God's command to us. Now, I'm just going to quote. If you want to write these things down as we go through, some of them I'll, I'll give you the exact reference. Some of them I'm just going to quote. I want you to see that it's a constant refrain throughout Scripture. From beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, the holiness of God is repetitively constantly and emphatically laid out there for us to be reminded of, to keep coming back to your God is God. He's the great I am, he told Moses. Now go tell the Hebrews and I'll tell Pharaoh that I am. And so when we come to him, we understand that he is and that we trust him and that we follow him. So I'm just going to quote you some scriptures. Moses in Exodus at the Red Sea After God had parted the Red Sea, the ocean, and they walked across on dry land, here was Moses' comment. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? I bet he was, end quote. I I bet he was. That was Randy. I bet Moses was just, because he was upset with the people. They were complaining. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They're looking at Pharaoh's army coming. What are we going to do? Moses says, stand back and see God work. And then God parts that ocean. They go across on dry land. And Pharaoh's army says, okay, we'll just chase them across on dry land. And they get in the middle of the ocean, and God drowns them. So the reminder is God speaks to the sea. Talked about Jesus talking to the wind in the the, uh, Sea of Galilee last week, and it obeyed him. God speaks to the Red Sea. It parts. He sends the wind. It parts. And then when he wants it to close, It closes, and Moses, in awe, and I bet the people at this point were like, wow, wow. And Moses says, you are majestic, doing incredible wonders. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, after she had given Samuel to God to be separate unto him, and that's what holiness means, I'm separate unto God. Just like he's separate from everything else above and beyond the universe, we as Christians are separate unto God to serve him. That's what holiness is. So Hannah, in her prayer, after leaving her son Samuel at the temple, her, her young boy, leaving because she had promised God, give me a child, give me a son, and I will give him, give him to you 
for his entire life, for the Nazarite vow. So she leaves Samuel, the prophet, at the temple, and she says these words. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. First Samuel chapter 2. So you see, progressively, Moses, Samuel, and in the, in the Psalms, I'm just going to read you several quotes from the Psalms, and there are many, many. I'm just hitting some highlights from you, written by David, written by Asaph. In the Psalms, just some quotes. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Just a few quotes from the Psalms. From the book of Isaiah, not chapter 6 where we are, but Isaiah also in another place says this. To whom then will you liken me? To whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, for thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, another of God's attributes, by the way, he is eternal, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We'll talk more about this as we go through. But here's pictured for you holiness in our lives. God says, I am holy. I dwell in eternity. I am eternal. And I will dwell with those who are humble before me. That's what God wants from us. That's what it means for us to be holy, is that I humble myself before a holy God and say, now, Lord, what do you want? Use me. So you've got, we've seen it in Exodus. We've seen it in 1 Samuel. We've seen it in the Psalms. We've seen it in Isaiah. I'm going to fast forward now to the future. To the book of Revelation, John writes this, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So here's the idea. We've seen it twice right here in the end of his quote, right here. Isaiah said it, and then John says it in Revelation. It's a constant reminder by God. Yes, the Old Testament is focused on the children of Israel, but repeatedly, God reminds him it's for the nations, for the nations, for the nations. And the nations means not just the Jews, but everybody, everybody, all the Gentile nations. And in Revelation, you see, talking about the future, that they're all going to come. And there'll be believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the planet will be in heaven because God is holy and he's saving people all over the world and always has. So God's holiness, it's basically, when you walk it through scripture and you look at it, the thing that you see repeatedly, and we'll see some of it as we, as we look at these verses, is how majestic our God is. And I guess the word we would probably use in our vernacular today is he's awesome. When you see in, in Scripture the fear of the Lord, on a positive perspective, it's not the fear of the Lord that he will judge me. Yes, that fear is real. 
But the fear of the Lord in the life of a believer is, I'm just in such awe of who my God is. That's who your daddy is. It's his transcendent attribute. We're going to talk about a bunch of his attributes. What does that mean, transcendent? It means that it's something that you see revealed in all his attributes. We talked about his sovereignty being the one that it ties it all together, and his holiness is a thread that runs through all his attributes. For example, in our next attribute, we're going to be looking at that God is love. What does that mean? We'll talk about what that means, but what you will see is that his holiness permeates his love. He loves us even as a God who is far above us, who created us, who we deserve wrath, yet he shows us grace and mercy. He loves us. It's his transcendent attribute. His holiness will flow through his love. We'll talk about his power, his omnipotence, and how you see his holiness there, that he's just, righteous, and even in his judgment, that it's always holiness. Uh, Theologian A.W. Pink put it this way, God alone is independently, infinitely, and immutably holy. He does not change. He's perpetually that way forever, and he alone is that way. It's, it's something that we'll never comprehend while we're on earth. But as you approach trying to comprehend it, it's absolutely essential that you do that. Great book, The Pursuit of the Holy, that classic. If you've never read that book, The Pursuit of the Holy by A.W. tells you you need to do that. And the idea is, as a Christian, I'm never satisfied. I should never be glad, okay, Jesus died for me and I got saved and I've been baptized and and I'm in the church and and I'm going to heaven. I'm good. When you begin to understand, even, and we'll see it with Isaiah in in chapter 6 in a moment, when you see a small glimpse of the holiness of God, what it should do for you is drive you to want to know more, to push you. I want to be more like Christ, to see your own weaknesses and, and be ashamed. And say, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for Christ. Forgive me for not being what you want me to be in that situation. I want to do better. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Learn the word of God. Apply the word of God. And then go live it out because you understand a little bit of the holiness of God. You've seen grace. You've been saved. God's reached down and been good to you, blessed you. And and as you begin to learn about holiness... It simply drives you two ways. One, to understand your own sinfulness even more. And two, to want to know more. To want to know more. J.C. Ryle wrote these words. I want you to listen closely to them. I have a deep conviction, excuse me, I have had a deep conviction for many years that practical holiness and entire self-consecration to God are not sufficiently attended to by modern Christians In this country, politics or controversy or party spirit or worldliness have eaten out the heart of lively piety in too many of us, end quote. J.C. Ryle wrote those words in 1879, 1879. It shows you the heart of man. Those words could have been written in 2020 about politics, worldliness. And the point being, as a Christian, 
There's all kinds of stuff that are going on around me, again, right now with COVID-19 and all that we face. And sometimes, in too many times, too many cases, we get our eyes off our holy God, our Father, and we simply focus on the pit that we find ourselves in or what I want, then I make it about me. And when you begin to learn about the holiness of God, that changes. That your focus becomes, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? I want that. C.S. Lewis, a great author, said this, How little people know who think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. End quote. I love that quote in some of the writings of C.S. Lewis, what really challenged me as a young Christian. Because when you growing up, going to church, for me was, I got, to, I got with my buddies and we sat in the back. They had these little alcoves in our church and we would always run to the alcove so my mom couldn't see me. And we make paper airplanes or paper wads and, and bring a straw with us and see who we could shoot, who we could hit and not get in trouble. I wasn't focused on the scripture. I wasn't focused on whatever was going on. It was dull to me. I didn't want anything to do with church. I went because my mom made me go and I had friends there and we had a good time doing youth group things. And I grew up there. But then later on, as a teenager, I became a Christian, and someone introduced to me learning the Word of God, and, and now for years and years, 50 years now, the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know and how much more I need to know. And hopefully, as you learn about who your God is and you see him work, and I've seen him answer just prayer after prayer just recently, just in little ways, what it does for you, as C.S. Lewis said, becomes irresistible. I want to know more about this God. I want to be closer to my dad. I, I want to please him. Not to buy anything, not to get a better spot in heaven, not to make sure I get to heaven, because it has nothing to do with any of that. It's irresistible to me because it gives me peace and joy and hope because my God is Holy. He's real. Okay, that's the intro. That's a long intro. I know you find that hard to believe. I want you to turn, if you haven't already, to Isaiah chapter 6. And this is the quintessential passage on holiness in Scripture. There's a lot of stuff we're going to read and listen, look at. But I want us to start here. So what's the context and the history as you get to Isaiah chapter 6? Here, here Isaiah is given a vision of heaven, of the holiness of of God. Now, being a prophet in the Old Testament was an incredibly difficult job. You think about Jeremiah, for example. We've talked about him. We did a series on Jeremiah a couple of years ago. and He's known as the weeping prophet. He preached God's truth to the people for 50 years, 50 years, without one positive comment or response. When you were an Old Testament prophet, in most of the cases, it was a very difficult job because you're preaching God's word to a people who the Bible describes them as stiff-necked, hard-hearted, not receptive. They ain't got time for it. They're not listening to you. They want God to do what they want him to do. The prophets were often despised. When the, while the false prophets who would come along and tell them what they wanted to hear were hailed as, all right. By the way, that's still true today in many cases. That people love what the false prophets tell them because they have, the Bible describes it as itching ears. 
Somebody will come along and tell you, you can always be in good health, and you will always have all the money you want if you just speak your reality and if you have enough faith. And Those things aren't true. God will meet your needs, but it doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery because you claim that you're going to win the lottery. It doesn't mean you're not going to be sick. Christians, people who love Jesus, get sick, even in the midst of this pandemic. A lot of people that I know and love, same with you, maybe even some of you who are watching, have been sick. You love the Lord, but you got sick as well. Many times, Christians get sick because you're trying to be nice to someone else. You're trying to care. And the point is, false teachers tell you what you want to hear. They appeal to the flesh. What the Old Testament or the old English phrases they would use, like King James Bibles and those phrases, they appeal to the appetites of the belly. What pleases me. So they would tell you what you wanted to hear. Same thing was true in the Old Testament. The Bible says that the Old Testament had false prophets. In the New Testament, the church will have them as well. They will come up in the midst of the church, and they'll come in from outside the church and do everything they can to pull you away from the truth. One of the phrases that's used in the New Testament is they'll use plastic words. That's where we get our English word plastic from the Greek word. Plastic. They'll take words and just twist them to fit the mold they want them to fit in to get what they want out of you. And so to be an Old Testament prophet like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, was an incredibly hard job because they were speaking the truth and they were speaking it in love, but the people didn't want to hear it. They wanted what they wanted. And as a result, God had to discipline them with, we're going to see the Assyrian captivity, later on the Babylonian captivity, to get their attention. So you get to Isaiah 6, verse 1. If you look at that verse with me, 6-1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year King Uzziah died, this is 8th century BC, Uzziah had been king of Judah, the southern kingdom, for 52 years. He started reigning when he was about 16 years old, sitting here looking at Brock Nance, thinking he was... Brock could have been king of Judah at that age. Now, Brock's a good kid, and he loves Jesus, but I don't know that I want him running an entire nation at age six. I don't know any 16-year-old, but Daniel was 15 when God raised him up to that. 16 years old, he becomes, Uzziah becomes king of Judah, the southern kingdom of, of the Jews, and he reigns for 52 years. And by and large, he was a very good king. He kept them strong. He kept them free. And then his pride leads him to disobey God. So I want you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, your devices, flip back to 2 Chronicles, give you something to do, chapter 26. 2 Chronicles, chapter 26, verse 16. I want to show you what Uzziah did. Remember now, he's been reigning for years and years. He's a good king. He's done a good job. But his pride leads him to disobey God. 2 Chronicles 26, 16. And he was, this is talking about Uzziah. 26, 16. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up, or prideful, to his destruction. He transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80, 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. 
they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, King Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, it's the inner part of the temple, if you have trespassed, exclamation point, you shall have an on, no honor from the house, from the Lord, excuse me, from the Lord your God. Now Uzziah, remember now Uzziah is king. Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord besides the incense, beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. He was cut off from the house of the Lord, couldn't go to the temple. Then Jotham, his son, was king over the king's house, judging the people of the land. All right, now go back to Isaiah 6. Here's Uzziah. He's king. He's doing a good job. And he decides, because I am the man, I'm also going to be a priest. And God had made it clear when he gave the Levitical priesthood and the law that priests only came from the, a, the, uh, the tribe of Levi and kings came from the tribe of Judah. And Uzziah is a king, but he cannot be a priest. But he decides, because I am the king and I am the man, I'm also going to burn incense. I'm going to take part of the office of the priest, which was greatly regarded. And his pride leads him to directly disobey God. Now, he was a good man, and he loved the Lord. But he thumbed his nose at God in this area, and God struck him with leprosy. And you've got to understand what leprosy meant. He has to give up the throne to his son, Jotham. For the rest of his life, he's cut off. He can't go to the temple. He can't be around anybody. And anytime somebody got near him as a leper, he had to scream out, unclean. This will be very important later in Isaiah 6. Unclean as a leper. They couldn't go near him. If you know anything about leprosy, we're not here to study leprosy today, but it's a horrible way to live and it's a horrible way to die. Basically, what leprosy does, it just eats away and, it, and you get to a point you can't feel pain. And you just, you, you get infections all over you because you don't even know you're hurting. And it just eats away at you. Like a fungus, a horrible fungus. And nobody would come near you. You were unclean. The punishment for what he, he disobeyed God directly. And so that's what happens to him. Now you get to, back to Isaiah 6. So he dies. At the end of his life, the last few years of his life were miserable. And he dies. His son is reigning. So now it's a time of national mourning, but also national fear. Because here's the deal. His son Jotham is king. They don't know whether Jotham's going to be able to reign like Uzziah did or not. They just don't know. He, everything's just rocked along for a while. Assyria was the world conqueror at this point. It will later be Babylon. Assyria was right now. And so their fear was Assyria is going to conquer us just like they have everybody else. And is Jotham going to be able to handle this? Uzziah kept us at peace. But can Jotham do that? They were in mourning for Uzziah being dead, and they were terribly afraid. Now, verse 1. In the midst of this national darkness, in this horrible time of mourning and fear, they've lost their king, Judah, 
And God gives Isaiah, their prophet, a vision of what? Look at verse 1 again. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Notice the, the, the metaphors that are used. He's on a throne. He's high and lifted up above everything, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What you're seeing here is a vision of the king of kings. So the first thing that God was wanting them to understand is, yes, I know why Uzziah is gone, and he's been a great earthly king, like when they lost David. But I am the king of kings. My throne is high and lifted up. My robe, the train of my robe, fills the entire temple. I'm not like an earthly king. I am your true king, Judah. I offer you, we're going to see as we walk through this, not just a king to reign on earth to keep you at peace with Assyria and everyone else. I'm going to offer you forgiveness. I'm going to offer you hope. Everything looks bleak. Everything looks dark. And I'm telling you, I'm the king of kings. What I have to offer to you is life, peace, hope. Trust me. So let's look at the vision that Isaiah got, and let's see what he sees. First thing, verses 1 through 4, he sees the majesty of God. Verse 1, again, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Each one had two, six. We'll talk about that. One cried to another and said, one seraphim cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The entire temple is shaking, and it's filling up with smoke. And he sees this incredible vision. God wanted Isaiah in that moment, and he wants us to see in our moment. They were afraid. They were terrified. They didn't know what was going to happen like many of us are. And what God was saying to Isaiah and to Judah, and he's saying,